Hello and welcome to Next. I'm your host, Marcus Atkinson. If you get an opportunity, go to our Facebook page and like the page. You can follow us on Twitter at 814 Next. Lend your voices to the dialogue. Happy New Year, everyone. We are in 2022. This is very exciting. I know we ended the show last year talking about all of the key trials that led us to this moment. And we look forward to 2022 right now and we'll finish up the show uh, encapsulating the January 6th riots and the trials that have ensued where that's concerned uh, to wrap the show up. But first, we've got a very special guest that we have all had an opportunity in some ways to meet over the past few years, Mr. Gary Lee is our special guest in studio. Gary, welcome to the show. And thank you for having me, Marcus. All right. And so Gary is the former director of administration for the Kathy Dahlkemper administration. And one of the reasons that I wanted Gary to come on is just to kind of get an introduction going, a reintroduction, if you will. And so Gary, I'll start with just some basic questions because it dawns on me that a lot of people don't necessarily know Gary Lee, the man. So tell us about your, your humble beginnings uh, here in the Erie area, high school, things along those lines. Sure. Uh, first of all, thank you, Marcus, for having me. Um, Erie's home for me. I was born and raised here. Uh, went to a middle school at Wilson uh, Middle School. Went to high school at Technical Memorial High School. Uh, then from there, went to California University of Pennsylvania. Went to Baltimore, Maryland to work with a printing firm for five years. Wanted to further my education, returned back home to Erie, attended Gannon University where I received my MBA uh, degree. Then I had the opportunity to work for the city of Erie um, as well as the university. Decided I wanted to advance my career a little further and I played the state game. Went down with uh, Governor Ridge. He was, I was appointed to Director of uh, Contract Administration and Business Development. Uh, it was down there for a great five years with his administration. When that change went over with the Rendell administration and did five years with him in the capacity of director of uh, professional selections, which is all the contracts for the co uh, Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, uh, then went on to become uh, a, an administrator uh, with the Rendell administration till the end. Uh, decided, wanted to do something different, return back home. And I'm back now and been back for uh, nine, year, nine years and it's been great, Marcus. Mm. And so you, you talk about graduating from Tech Memorial, what many of you now know as Erie High. And even before that, it was Central and it's changed several times. A lot of people, you know, I've spoken to people before about you because I've always been, you know, a fan of your work and kind of an admirer of the, just the, the, the pathway that you've taken to this point right now. I think that you're a polished professional and I've, I've always had a great deal of respect for the work that you do. I think because you are such a polished professional, I've met people who made the assumption that you, you graduated from maybe the Cathedral Prep or Mercyhurst Prep. I've met people who've made the assumption that you live in the suburbs. Nothing could be further from the truth. Without divulging where you stay, you even stay in the same neighborhood that you grew up in right here in the inner city Erie. Uh, that is true. First of all, Marcus, thank you for the uh, positive accolades. I appreciate that. And I look up to you as well and the great work that you're doing. So, you know, I made a conscious decision. Uh, when I lived in Harrisburg, I lived in a community that was the suburbs, would it be equivalent to a Mill Creek and Fairview. Upon returning home, I was considering returning back to the uh, suburbs, um, but I had an opportunity uh, to, uh, we had the house, that, the house that actually I grew up in. I've uh, been in the home, in our family, excuse me, for 55 years. So I had the opportunity to 
and moving back there, um, and it just was the right fit. I wanted to be a part of the city. Um, I went on, as you know, in the position as director of administration to represent the entire county, uh, but when I first came back, I wanted to be a part of the city, so I moved into the home I grew up, um, and it's just been fabulous being a part of that particular community and meeting new people uh, since I was gone. Mm. Give us an idea of what shaped your uh, desire to want to be a community serving, because obviously you have spent a good deal of your career serving be it you know, abroad or here, where does that come from for you? It comes from my parents. Um, many of you who have heard me speak, I, I referenced that my father was a pastor. Um, and okay, for, let me put a disqualifier in here. Please don't hold that against me. <laughs> uh, but my father was a pastor. My mother was heavily involved in the church. And it was always, growing up, I was able to see service. And I was able to see what it means to give back and what it means to help people. And I come to understand that when you start to look at others and help others, you don't have to worry about yourself as much because you will be lifted up and taken to the next level as you continue to pour out and help other individuals. Mm. I, I told a story before of when I lived in Atlanta and I came back and I visited and I had a childhood mentor of mine who was actually one of my former teachers and she gave me a speech about uh, the circle of life and me taking my place in the proverbial village. And she said, you know, you're one of the best and brightest that we've raised. We'd love for you to come back and give that back to the community. And that stuck with me until the moment that I actually moved back myself and began serving as others served me. What kind of feedback do you get from people that have poured into your life since you were a young boy in inner city Erie? Um, you know, I, I get the feedback that uh, they always saw something to me that perhaps I didn't see in myself. Uh, they knew that I was destined for greatness even before I started on this journey. Um, it was very interesting, uh, Marcus. Uh, when I, uh, as was stated, I went to Technical Memorial High School, which is a vocational high school, and I wasn't planning to go to college. Uh, my dreams, my aspirations at that time was to get out and get a car. Uh, my brother had uh, done it successfully, and I was like, you know what, I can do the same thing. But something very interesting transpired. And my senior year, the fall semester, uh, they went on strike. In fact, to this day, it's the longest strike in the Erie School District history. And I was out during that time, and I was thinking next year this time, what would I be doing? I would be working, and I wasn't ready to give up learning. I wasn't ready to give up hanging around individuals my age. So immediately after that strike ended, I went to the counselor office and I found out what would be required in order to attend college and I proceeded on with my educational goals from that standpoint. Mm. And so to take a left turn here, I look at everything that's going on in community and one of the things that is very frustrating as someone who has been in uh, youth advocacy myself for many, many years and did time in youth development, I know that you're a very serious father. As you look at the state of the youth of our community, give us some of your hopes and aspirations for this community as a father and some of your concerns as you raise a child in this environment. Uh, sure. Um, I'm a single father. Uh, my wife, unfortunately, passed away uh, 13 years ago due to breast cancer. Uh, so it is myself, Elijah, and myself. That is my son, and he's a teenager. And I really get concerned about some of the things that are happening around us um, here in Erie. Um, but what I share with him and what I attempt to uh, place in him is by living by example and leading by example. So as, as many things, um, I remember one time I told him we were walking somewhere and he was, this is when he was younger and I said, look, square your shoulders and, and walk straight. And he's like, dad, what does that mean? What does that mean? And I said, just watch me. 
Just watch me. And this is what I think our young men and women need to do. They need more role models so that they can watch and so that they can emulate. Um, being in Erie allows me to really have that one-on-one -on -one with the young men and women in the region and the community and be able to pour into them um, by just giving them keys, basic keys and requesting that they follow. And again, if they have any questions or if they have any concerns, just tell them to watch me and watch individuals like yourself, Marcus. Mm -hmm. What do those conversations sound like when you talk to some of our young people? Because I know um, I've heard conversations between young people in our community and others. I've had the privilege of speaking to many of them myself. When you discuss with them, the state of community, their goals, their aspirations, their fears. Give us a snapshot of what that sounds like. Uh, sure, so many years ago when I was head of a youth entrepreneurship program through Gannon University, sponsored by the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, I had three keys of success. And I have not moved off those keys of success. And the, the first one I share with the youth is one, develop a belief system. Um, if you don't believe, and in my particular case, um, it is God. Um, but I don't try to force my religion on anyone. I tell them to develop that belief system um, and really, really adhere to that belief system. Secondly, I tell them to obey their parents and really respect not only their parents, but adults. You'll be surprised how far pleased and thank you will take you uh, in this role of ours. And then third, I share with them, sit and reach their educational goals. Um, whether it is a community college, whether it's going to the armed services, whether it's going to a, a four-year institution. Set and reach your educational goals. Those three basic rules and steps will cause them to propel and go to the next level in a successful way. Politics. At what point did you realize that you had an interest in politics? It seems to be a very comfortable fit for you in many, many ways. When did that come about? Um, I, I have to be honest with you, Marcus, I fell into it. Um, I, I tell people I'm not a politician, I just play one at work. Um, so <laughs> what it allows me to do is really kind of go back and forth as far as uh, who I am. Um, and what I mean by back and forth, I really try to hold on to the, the root, the foundation that, you know what, I'm going to share and build relationships built on trust. And that's one thing that is very, very important to me. And I have learned in politics, it's, it's fine to agree to disagree, but we have to find common ground. And on that common ground, we move forward. Mm -hmm. So th with the Dog Committee Administration, Obviously, coming out of that position as director of administration, talk to us about how that came to be in terms of uh, Kathy Dahlkemper asking you to, to take on that role and what considerations went into it in terms of you accepting it. Um, first of all, I have to say, I didn't know Kathy. I didn't know Kathy before um, she approached me about the position. It was uh, eight years ago on Super Bowl Sunday where she sent me an email introducing herself to me and telling me about a position that she felt she had would be a perfect fit for me. Uh, she and I met several times after that, and the more I heard about her vision, the more I heard about what it was she was attempting to accomplish, uh, the more I fell in love with being a part of that particular vision. So what went into it was uh, Kathy sharing her vision, um, but more importantly, sharing how I could 
be a part in leading and serving in that particular vision. So when I really added everything up, and I'd really put a lot of time and thought into um, accepting the position, um, it was it definitely came down that I had to do it because it was a once in a lifetime opportunity to be able to serve and lead Erie uh, in that capacity. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about the scope of that position because I've heard you on multiple occasions clarify what it is that you actually did with the county. I think there were a lot of misconceptions. Tell us about the, the depth and the breadth and scope of such a position. Uh, thank you, Marcus. Yeah, so the Director of Administration is the Chief Operating Officer for the County of Erie. Um, I was responsible for 10 departments, uh, over 800 employees. I was responsible for really running the day-to-day -day activities and projects and initiatives uh, for the county. Now, I have to say that a big position like that, you will not be successful if you don't have the right team. And I have to be honest, I, I had a great team. They executed and did things marvelously. Um, I was involved when things were kind of, you know, a little, little touchy there, um, or if they just needed guidance or even just some inspiration, some motivation, um, if they needed some assistance with the action plans, that would help and make sure that that was executed properly. But it really was a team effort, and I had a great team to lead. So that is really uh, what the, uh, in, in a, uh, a broad scope, shall I say, what the director of administration does. What did you learn about our county uh, when you were in this position? I know that there are people sometimes who run for office, and some of them may run for city positions, some for county positions. And the, the conversation of city versus county is, you know, a very nuanced conversation. There are a lot of differences and there are a lot of things that are the same. What did you learn from being in this, in this position, being raised in the city but serving on a countywide level? Wow, Marcus, that's a great question. Uh, what I learned is that people are people. And you have to care about people. And you have to find the common ground. And you really have to work on the things that you have in common, case in point. There was a lot, and you brought this up, it's the city of Erie versus outside the city of Erie. What I have come to realize is that the same type of issues that are facing inside the city of Erie, we have those exact same issues outside the city of Erie. Um, when you talk about opium abuse and what's going on uh, with the issues with some of our youth and, and being a little focused as far as truancy, when you talk about the homeless issue, when you talk about the healthcare disparities, you have that going on inside the city of Erie as well as outside side the city of Erie. So really what it boils down to is people and letting people know that it doesn't matter where you live in Erie County, okay? You will be dealt with, and not only dealt with, but handled, I'll say that, that's better. You will be handled with properly and you will be given the dignity and respect that you deserve. Because at the end of the day, uh, it's about humans and it's about really pouring into the human life and making sure that he or she has what it takes to be successful. I know in the previous presidential campaign on a national level, the rural poor, the poor outside of the cities in this country. There seems to have been a large outcry, and it was along those same lines, because for so many people, the attention to poverty within these cities across the country, larger cities, mid-level cities, uh, was the central focus. Not fully realizing or even giving enough credit or attention to the fact that, as you pointed out, there's a lot of poverty in some of these counties. And Erie County is no different, and so, it, it may not look the same per se, 
but they are the same issues. And a lot of these, and this is kind of a question, a lot, of, a lot of these relationships are symbiotic, and so if you take drug use, you may have uh, one type of drug being manufactured more or less in the city versus the county, but certainly addictions run the same, and even when it comes to the bartering system that involves the drug trade, you find a lot of connections between city and county. You made a lot of connection points, I would imagine, with some of these key issues between city and county. Am I correct? Absolutely. Absolutely, Marcus. So, what... I have come to fully understand and realize is that it really boils down to um, classism. Um, it, it really does. So you have uh, your working poor, uh, you have your uh, working class, you have the middle class, you have the upper middle class, you have the upper upper class. Classism. So that has, in my opinion, been one of the most challenging situations to overcome mm. because it continues to separate us and it continues to put us in boxes. So my goal and what the administration has attempted to do over the past eight years is chip away at those isms, um, in this particular case, classism, and really try to let individuals know that it doesn't matter where you start, it's about where you end. And it's about getting to the end in a successful way, and of course, helping other people as you go along that way. Fascinating, I spoke to someone before about the plight of McDowell High School, for example, and the conversation started about the racial disparities, but it quickly went into what you just mentioned a second ago, classism. And what this person pointed out was the fact that obviously McDowell is a huge high school that encompasses a large swath of the county of Mill Creek, it, it, well, across Mill Creek. And you have students that are the children of transient, poor parents or a parent, and then you have the children of millionaires and everything in between. And they really painted this, this fascinating picture of that is the kind of the bane of their existence in terms of them dealing with a lot of the issues within the students. So I appreciate you bringing that up, classism, because there are a lot of different groups within the county, I would imagine, along those same lines, just like the city. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and Mark, is that, that, again, it's a journey, and I think that uh, we, when I say we, the Gall um, Kemper administration, we were able to make some headways, but there's more and more work that continues to be done. Okay, and so to button up the Dog Kemper administration and the time that you spent there, give us what you are most proud of in the years that you spent as director of administration. So the, the first point I would say is that I was really proud to help lead the county to go on a national level. Um, many markets do not know this, but the National Association of Counties, we participated, started participating from 2016 to 2021, and we received a total of 33 National Achievement Awards. Wow. Um, the most in the history of the county, the most in the history of the state, actually the most in the history of the country. And that has taken a lot of work from our team to reach that level, so I'm extremely proud of that. I'm extremely proud of the Summer Jobs and More program, which you have been a part of or mm -hmm. participating, where we bring together 
mentors and we bring together these organizations to hire these young men and women to give them hope, to give them inspiration, to let them start networking and building their own name, their own brand as they navigate throughout this journey that we call life. Extremely proud, very successful. We've have invested uh, to date over $3.8 million. We have seen over a thousand students participate and graduate from the program. And if time permitted, I would go on to tell you about more of the success stories, but I'm very proud about that. And then if I had to land with the, the, the last thing, um, a point would be the community college. And the Erie County Community College was a really, really special initiative that we weren't even leading that. This was a, a, a major initiative of Councilman Andre Horton, mm -hmm. um, and he really pushed it, uh, got everyone involved, and Council did a great job getting everyone involved, the administration did, the business community, the faith community. This was a perfect example of everyone coming together and really getting this over the finish line. So those are the three key initiatives that I am extremely proud of that we were able to accomplish, Marcus. Excellent. A lot of people are very excited, rightfully so, about the, the rides of the community college here in Erie after a lengthy battle on several fronts to bring that to the city of Erie. I think that, I, and, and I think I echo the sentiments of a lot of citizens when I say I think that it will, will be kind of a catalyst for a lot of individual success in this kind of, and we need to prepare people for job opportunities, many of which, uh, many of these jobs that cannot fill them right now, many employers can't fill these jobs. Let's go to the American Rescue Plan dollars that are coming into the city. According to a Go Erie article from uh, March 11, 2021, it talked about the nearly $275 million worth of pandemic relief aid that will be pumped into local governments and school districts in Erie County. This is Erie County government received 52.3 million from the 1.9 trillion stimulus bill. And overall, Pennsylvania was expected to receive $12.9 billion from the American Rescue Plan, which includes more than 5.7 billion for local government. Give us your idea, your thoughts on where Erie should go with such a, a unique opportunity uh, to have such a large amount of economic capital infused into our local economy. Absolutely, Marcus. Uh, this is once of a lifetime opportunity for our region. So therefore, we cannot take it lightly. Um, my hat goes off to uh, County Executive Dahl Kemper, as well as Mayor Schember, um, as well as uh, Superintendent Brian Polito for really strategizing and collectively doing it together and collaborating, um, not just with those three government entities, but with community stakeholders. So, as I forestated, once in a lifetime opportunity, what, in my opinion, has to be done, you have to be able to build the infrastructure to not only meet the current needs, but to really think beyond that and really look into the future and really come up with initiatives and programs that you develop that can be sustained, not only sustained, but can grow. Where am I going? Leveraging. Anyone knows that if you're going to take this money and you're going to invest for the future, you have to leverage. So I think the biggest opportunity for this money coming into our region, and the money's already here, as you stated, Marcus, is for us to identify a more uh, productive, a more proactive way 
to leverage this money so that we can have initiatives, not only for today, but for generations to come. Mm -hmm. And, and if, if you haven't followed this, the specific numbers, uh, Erie County allocated 52.3 million, the city of Erie 79.1, Mill Creek Township 6.5, and he talked about Brian Polito, the Erie School District received 77.5 million, a considerable amount larger than the other school districts for various reasons. Speak to the specific opportunity that this represents for marginalized black and brown communities in Erie and Erie County. I have to go back to what I forestated once in a lifetime opportunities. This has the ability to transform the lives of not only the current generations, but generations to come if done properly. And again, when I say done properly, it has to be leveraged properly with philanthropic dollars, with other federal dollars, with other state dollars, and of course with local money. And then we're talking about the business community. I think this is a tremendous opportunity for all of us to become a part of history and to do it properly. You know, so many times, markets, um, what I have seen in government is that we always want to put something on someone else's plate. But this is an opportunity where we can put it on everyone's plate. And everyone has a role that he or she is going to have to play if this is going to be done properly and if we're going to leverage this money properly. So when it comes to the black and brown communities and if COVID has not shown us anything else, it's really shown us that there are some major disparities. And this is based on data. This is not based on opinions. This is based on facts. Where there's healthcare, where there's education, where there's transportation, where there's workforce development, you name it, these communities that have been underserved for generations, we need to address some of the systemic issues and really build a better infrastructure that will build that bridge to get the brown and black community to the next level. So obviously we have a new county executive, youngest county executive that we've ever had for that matter. And you've made the conscious decision to just kind of move forward and explore new opportunities. What advice, if you're in a position to speak to it, what advice did or would you give the incoming county executive as you have a very unique vantage point to that job's responsibilities? It, it, it would be in, in um, congratulations to our new elect uh, county executive, um, Brenton Davis, I've had the opportunity to speak with him on several times. And one of the things that I have shared with him is that um, he has an opportunity to really put his signature on the future. And what I have shared is that the things that are working well, continue to let them work well. However, things that could be tweaked, could be improved, and just new initiatives, uh, go for it. Um, but it's really going to take that team effort and it's really going to take the buy-in. And not only buy-in at the top. I mean, sometimes we just think it's only at the top where things lie. No, you have to reach down and get the grassroots um, individuals because many times what I have seen, those individuals appear to be a little more hungrier uh, from time to time, so you have to be able to connect with some of the grassroots organizations and really get them to buy in and share the vision. So you haven't made any formal announcements or any, any type of, um, yeah, again, announcements of anything that you're doing going forward, but just in terms of this chapter of your life, being someone who has spent a, a large part of your adult career in service to community, give us an idea of how you view this chapter of your life and how you see yourself serving going forward. 
be that in, in an official occupational capacity or even just as a citizen of Erie, as a father and as a native son of Erie? So I had the opportunity um, in, you know, by serving as Great County, it opened up a lot of doors for me. So I had a, about four or five opportunities presented to me and all of them were great, all of them. Um, but as I went through and started doing soul searching, I really wanted an opportunity in this phase in my life and in this chapter of my life that was going to allow me to really write a chapter that I think would be worth reading, um, to really write, um, if you will, a bestseller. And in order to ha do that, I needed to have uh, some type of autonomy, uh, some type of oversight, and some type of vision that I would be able to do that. And so in this particular chapter of my life, and it, there will be more coming, and I can share this uh, with you, Mark, it's uh, that uh, they, when I say they, the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Commission, uh, they have uh, appointed me to be their chief administrative officer. And that is an exciting role, it's a new role. Um, it is a role that will allow us to really work with uh, the underserved communities, um, in particular the black and brown communities. And hopefully in the near future I can come back and share with you a little more in detail um, some of the great things that the commission and myself will be doing. But in making that decision to accept this role, and I'm very grateful that they appointed me to this position, it was really, can I stay in Erie and make a difference? Mm. And can I really impact uh, the individuals that perhaps have been forgotten for too long. Um, so I'm excited uh, as I go into the next chapter of my life, Marcus. As we close this segment out, Gary, I want you to think about this. You know, when it's all said and done, and I want you to envision your, your son as an adult, and when your time is done, what do you want your legacy to be? What do you want him to read or hear about the work of Gary Lee? <laughs> Tell you, these, these are outstanding questions, Marcus. <laughs> I really want my son to know that his father, when, when, he, when he did not perhaps maybe explain everything perf perfectly, maybe when he didn't know the words to say, I want him to look back and reminisce and say, I learned how to walk and square my shoulders. I learned how to be the man that not only my father talked about, but what life he led. I know now how to answer people and to treat people with dignity and respect. Not because of all the words that he said, but because I watched him. And he set that example for me. You know, when we talk about leadership, there's three great ways to lead. And one is talking. You can talk a lot, and, and I enjoy talking, but you can only talk so much. Mm -hmm. Two is writing. You can write things out, and people can follow them. But the most effective way to lead is by example. So I really want my son to say that my father led a life of dignity, respect, integrity, character, and I will follow that. Excellent words. Gary Lee, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about uh, just your past experience. And we look forward to seeing how the future unfolds for you. Certainly, whatever that is and to whatever capacity this new position holds, that we know that something profound will happen for the city of Erie because of your contribution. So thank you for coming on next with w on WQLN. 
uh, with Marcus Atkinson. We hope you come back and visit again soon. Marcus, thank you for having me, and I look forward to it. Have a great day. And thank you for c continuing on with Next on WQLN. I'm the host, Marcus Atkinson. We go into this next, next segment, and we talk to a career military man, Mr. Anthony Quinn, joining us via Zoom. Anthony, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Marcus, for having me. And so we've had Anthony on the show before. He's also an author. If you want to just give us kind of a synopsis of your stellar military career before we go into the topic today. Well, Marcus, I, I, I can tell you that I started my military career when I was 18. I uh, joined the reserves, was a combat medic, and then moved on from a combat medic into the junior ROTC, or as you can say, ROTC program in college. From there, graduated um, from Slippery Rock University, commissioned as a second lieutenant infantry officer in the light infantry. And so from there, I progressed from being a, just a mere lieutenant to a company commander, various instructor positions, as well as an instructor at the Ranger Regiment. And then moving on from there uh, into other aspects of the special ops community. And I've been there ever since as a young captain. And uh, I retired just um, not too long ago, um, 31 July, 2020. So I had a long career. It was great. I learned a lot, been a lot of places, and I am grateful for the experiences that I've had. And last and certainly not least, he is a proud graduate of the Erie Strong Vincent. We're not talking about the middle school version. We're talking about the actual Strong Vincent. We are SV. <laughs> That's right. Go Colonel. Go Colonels. And so one of the things we did not do to finish out 2021, as we discussed some of the trials that really shaped uh, the 2020 and 2021 years, we didn't talk about the January 6th trials at all because we wanted to do an update to kind of start the year off. Uh, Tony wrote a book that we'll talk about shortly about dis and misinformation. But I wanted to start this discussion uh, for about a survey that was posted to the website for the Brookings Institute. This was posted January 5th, 2020. And they took a collaborative multiracial post-election survey. The sample size was 20,000 people. And it talked about the January 6th insurrection. And I want to set this conversation up a bit because we've already had a handful of people go to trial over this. This continues to tear at the fabric of this country, but I want to uh, kind of talk about the the results of this survey and get your thoughts on it. It says just over half, 53% of Americans felt that the events of January 6, 2021 were a quote unquote coordinated act of insurrection. The other 47% believed it was mostly a quote unquote protest that went too far. African-Americans were much more likely to the tune of 67% to believe that the attack on the United States Capitol was an act of insurrection compared to white Americans, which was 45%, Latinos, 50%, Asian Americans, 52%. The public is similarly divided on the role of Congress in this insurrection. A slim majority of 53% of, of respondents felt the Republican members of Congress were undermining democracy with their efforts to stop Biden's victory, compared to 21% who believed that they were protecting democracy, and 26% of which 
who were not sure. Once again, African Americans were more likely than other racial groups to believe that these actions were intended to undermine democracy, 63% compared to 43% among whites, 52% among Latinos. And so I'll stop there. When you wrote your book about um, misinformation and disinformation. Give us a synopsis of that and tie it into what led to this insurrection in the first place, because reading some of what you've written in the past, it feels like uh, some of the, the conditions that existed leading up to this had something to do with the content that you outlined in your book. Well, Marcus, I'll start out by saying this. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. Instead, it's all about how are you going to repackage this, right? What you want to hear, what you want to see, and what you want to read, right? And the key thing here is the message, right? How to get that message to resonate with your target audience, so to speak. And, and, and ensuring that that message resonates, you also got to ensure that that target audience can carry out that message. Because if you can't carry out that message or that call to action, right, you just wasted your precious time, money, and what have you. Now, the book that I wrote was called uh, America's Slow Burn to Conscious Dysfunction, right? And so what I meant by that is we're awake, right? But we're not awake. Um, and, and understanding that you're in a dysfunctional state, right? Uh, you you got to understand that you're making conscious decisions that are basically uh, allowing you to stay in the same dysfunctional state that you've been you you're always been, right? And and part of that is understanding the message, understanding how to think critically, understanding that when you as an individual make a decision. Um, Possibly your decision uh, may in fact I mean, impact others. And I wanted the population and those who read this book, my, my book, to understand that uh, people above us, organiza organizations above us, don't just haphazardly do things. When they want to communicate a message, they plan this out. And those of us, those, the target audience, which is us, society, we have to be critical enough to understand they're trying to sell us something. They're trying to um, basically uh, get us to believe something that probably isn't true. Mm. And if you use your critical thinking, if you have those skills, you can probably see through that and make up your own mind and basically not, not buy into what they're selling. Before I go into the convictions, as a career military person, not as a black man, not as, a, as an Eriite, as a career military person, give us your reaction when you watched this unfold on the nation's capital and give us specific takes from military people that you've served with that you may have spoken to about this as the situation unfolded on January 6, 2021? Marcus, um, right now, um, as we talk about it, I, I have a lump in my chest. Um, and, and the lump is because of the pain that I feel. Um, I was upset. Um, I was 
aggravated. I was mad, um, embarrassed for, for our country, for our leadership, for those who died um, serving our country to, to promote democracy, right? And this is how we repaid them and those of us that served in the armed forces. And, I, and speaking to those that I've served with, every single one of us was upset. Every single one of us was angry that this had transpired on our uh, turf, our land. Um, so it, it's, it doesn't take more than that, than, than what I just said to you to, to communicate how I felt. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was just anger, I mean, and crying at the same time. And I don't cry much, but uh, I can literally tell you I cried. I wrote um, a posting on Facebook. And I wanted everyone to understand that what they saw there is basically uh, dysfunction and also uh, to be aware that destruction comes from within first, not external. Mm -hmm. It comes from within. I've been very interested in the takes of people that have been actively serving in the military, especially those that have made a career from serving in the military since this whole incident, um, since this whole insurrection happened, because by its very nature, those that serve, the military ranks as an apolitical um, ranks, if you will. Not that they don't have a voting preference, we get that, it's human nature, but regardless of whether or not it is a Democrat or Republican, um, you know, African-American president, woman president, it doesn't matter. The military ranks still have their orders to serve and they still fight for the democracy of this country, regardless of how much they agree or disagree with the ideology of whatever, of whoever the sitting president is at that time. And so it's always uh, a point of interest for me to hear those people speak into something as unprecedented as this. Let me go into the, to the convictions here and I'll get your thoughts on it. It says that uh, there were more than 700 people that have been arrested for these crimes as, a, as from an article on Political January 6, 2021. 150 people have pled guilty. You've had the number of people who received misdemeanor sentences, 64 out of the 71 who have received sentences so far. The number of people who received prison time thus far, 30 of 71. And so before I go into the specifics of some of these um, verdicts, what are, what are some of your thoughts on even the, the sentences that have been handed down so far to the best of your knowledge? Well, I, I would tell you, Marcus, um, sentencing uh, and things of that nature, of course, that's coming from a judge, right? And the judge is going to use um, all the tools of the trade to come up with a a, a appropriate um, punishment um, for whatever transaction. Um, and, um, and, and I would tell you, uh, being a person that hands out punishment, uh, I, I would tell you that I try to spend my biases before um, I go into even researching what happened. And, and I tell you though, once I've researched it, and understood what what happened. Um, if it's egregious enough, and it is critical to um, our uh, 
our 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 life, our our the way our society, um, and that would bring it back to me as a, a military officer and a soldier. If it's critical to our readiness and our way of executing a task or mission, um, I am going to be very stern about the punishment that I hand out because. I want anyone else, whoever thinks about doing that, mm -hmm. to know that, hey, this is going to happen to you and we're not going to um, uh, put on kick gloves to give it to you, right. you know, to, to give you the punishment. And so when I say that, Marcus, I say this. Now, the word is insurrection. That word, if you look up, uh, look it up. You look up all the synonyms that go along with that word, which is 28 of them, um, and, um, and you look at what it means legally and from a, normal, um, from a normal definition, the bottom line is insurrection is critical to our foundation. It's critical to our government, the way we govern ourselves. Mm -hmm. So anybody, at what level, it doesn't matter. Anybody threatening that, the sentence should be harsh enough mm -hmm. so that anyone else thinking in the near future or down the road to do the same thing, they know what is coming to so them. They would think twice you know about it. Right. They're going to think twice about that. When you look at some of the judgments that came down the pike, for the most part, judges did not seem to show uh, a great deal of intestinal fortitude towards doing what you outlined. You know, when you look at some of the, the, the judgments rendered, multiple people received uh, longer sentences based upon their direct attacks on law enforcement officers. For example, you've got uh, at the top of that list, Robert Palmer, who's now serving, was sentenced to about five years. Delvin Thompson, 3.8 years. Scott Fairlame, Fairlamb, 3.4 years. Jacob Chansley, 3.4 years. Cleveland Meredith Jr., 2.4 years. Troy Smocks, 1.2 years. Now, the thing that's the common denominator for all of these people that I've named is that they all, in some way, shape, or form, obstructed or assaulted a police officer, obstructed the work of or assaulted a police officer. But Robert Palmer, to kind of go with your thing on disinformation, he wrote a letter to the judge as he was being sentenced. And in that letter, he apologized to the judge. He admitted his role. And he also stated that he was misled by people in power about the election results to include the former president. Disinformation, misinformation. When you talk about defending this country as a person in the military from foreign and domestic threats, you talk about domestic threats. Some of the militias and subversive groups that were involved with this, have some of these groups been on the radar of the military fitting that def definition of a domestic threat? So when you say military, the armed forces, I would say they are on the radar within that community, mm. right? Our special operations, right? So they're, they're on the radar, right? But we, we don't play um, too much in our own backyard unless um, there is egregious of a, uh, offense and, um, and, and we're given direction from higher to go ahead and do so. 
Um, so we we keep aware of them. We're we're always aware of them. It's just that um, we don't act on it unless uh, given direct guidance to do so. Now I I, I want to go ahead and, and talk about um, categories, right? So let's let's just say that. When I go into a country and I'm dissecting them, I, I categorize um, information about a culture. Uh, it could be critical, non-critical. It could be um, a neutral. And then I like to use a word like universal appeal. And, and these categories mean something when you're collecting information and you're putting them all in these different categories. And... And, and just like I say, categories, it's the same thing as when the judge makes a, a, a decision on these individuals that are coming in before them, because they could have categories too. So um, just like NPR re, uh, reported, these categories fell in the um, category of mega tourists, violence, and extremists, right? So there were broad three categories. And I'm sure these judges are giving sentences based on these different categories, mm -hmm. right? And so now, along with that, they also should be doing what I would have done or anybody in my position that, that we would do. We will also look at definitions. We will mm -hmm. also look at the codes. Now, U.S. Code 28, I mean, 2383 talks about rebellion and insurrection. Now, I'm not going to read all these codes to you, but what I'm going to read are the, the types of fines or sentences that could happen, right? So just for the first one I just read, it, say, it states that shall be fined under this title, right, or, in, or imprisoned not more than 10 years or both, and shall be incapable of holding any office under the United States. Now, let me tell you, I read that first one for a reason. And that title, insurrection, that is important, right? For anyone found, you know, participating in that uh, mob and under that title should not be able to run for office, mm -hmm. right? That's key. Right. And anyone that misled and perpetrated this um, to happen, if they already are in office, should have been censored, relieved of their duties within a com uh, committee. Right. And basically let go. Right. Now, this should happen. It's right there. I didn't make this up. You didn't make this up. This is the cold. Right. Mm -hmm. So. I would ask you a question, Marcus, is why aren't the judges doing that? Mm. Right. Excellent question. Excellent. You, question. you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. and, and, and see, with me as being a strategist, being who I am um, in my former profession, I would use this type of information against them. I would use this type of information to say, why aren't you mm -hmm. basically um, sentencing people in accordance to this? Because somebody chose insurrection. Right. Whoever chose it, 
chose it for a reason. And that was, and to me, that was one of the main reasons. Let me say this. I know that with, with the last election, the previous election to this one that just passed, you know, Russia has been accused of, using, of, of waging an info war in many ways against the United States. And they kind of looked at the infighting and the fact that the United States, in terms of its citizenship, is coming apart at the seams in many ways. I mean, it's been somewhat of a digital civil war going on in this country for quite some time. Russians, Russia seized an opportunity to try to play into that. That's first. Second of all, when you look at some of the recommendations made by the government, for sentencing, and this is one of the things that the judges all had to take into consideration. You look at some of the considerations or some of the recommendations versus the actual sentences, and one judge made the decision to go beyond the recommendations. You look at Matthew uh, Mazoka. Mazoko, uh, the, the government recommendation was three months home confinement, 36 months probation, 60 hours community service. A judge gave him 45 days in jail to go along with that. Troy Smocks, the recommendation, low end of federal guidelines, 36 months supervised release. She gave him 14 months incarceration. Stephanie Miller, Brandon Miller, a couple, and three months home confinement was the, was the government recommendation. 36 months probation, 60 hours community service, pretty much the same thing for his wife. 20 days in jail for one, 14 days for the other, the list goes on. Same with Edward Hemingway, uh, Hemingway and Robert Bauer. 30 days incarceration was the government recommendation for both this judge gave him 45 days each instead. This is Judge Tanya, Tanya Chutkin, who is a, uh, an immigrant from Jamaica, Kingston, Jamaica, who was um, an Obama, Obama appointee. Even though there still isn't a lot of time, it's shocking that only one judge has shown a desire to, as you would say, set some sort of example so that people didn't look at this and say, is that all they got? Why wouldn't we try it again if people are getting probation, if they're, if they're getting 60 days or 60 hours community? So why wouldn't we plot and plan in our basements to do this again if that's all the time that you're gonna get? Talk about the, 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 light, the light-handed um, sentences that some of these judges are handing down. And well, what I, position I, that puts our country in, in your opinion? Okay, Marcus, uh, and, and I would tell you this, you know, so these judges, they all understand the political ramifications of going to the max, right? They understand this. And so what they try to do is walk a fine line in being viewed or seen as being tough, right? And, but also being seen as compassionate. And, um, and, and to me, I, I, I think uh, they're, they're, they're taking the wrong approach. This is just my opinion. They're taking the wrong approach because they're well within their bounds, according to that uh, code that I said, um, U.S. Code uh, 2383, to do what they want to do and, and, and um, do it within the laws. Right now, it's amazing to me that they have the right to throw the book at, them, but they don't. Because again, 
they are a little hesitant to receive or to take on the flack that they will be getting. Now, Marcus, we can come at this a myriad of ways of why we are where we are today, right? Dealing with this situation. We can go back to Obama's election. We can go back to the, uh, the election of 2016, right? And we can even go back as far as the Civil War and bring it in. Or we can even go to the philosophical uh, uh, Enlightenment age and talk about how the, um, the philosophers like Locke and, um, and, and uh, the like um, talked about how society um, should be governed, either by the people or by a single ruler or by um, elected officials, right? The point that I'm trying to make here is we all have a part to play, right? But those that we elect, we expect them to do the, our bidding and to do it with um, integrity, mm -hmm. right? And, and not be fearful that because they took a stance that is, that is right and within their boundaries to take, you know, um, to be not be fearful of the mm -hmm. backlash that will come with it. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And and um and, and just so that I I, I want to um, bring up this, well, you know, just like that one code, right? Um insurrection, it has um adjoining codes as well. You know, and, and just like police officers, when they stop you, right, they may stop you for one thing, but then when they actually, um, you know, arrest you or detain you, you you got like six, seven different charges, right? And here's the thing I want to point out: um, you have U.S. Code twenty three eighty four talks about seditious and conspiracy, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sure somebody can fit in that category, right? But then it states here, they shall each be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 20 years right. or both, right? And then you go to the next code, 2385, advocating overthrow of a government, right? Mm -hmm. So just look at what, what it says here. If two or more persons conspire to commit any offense named in this section, each shall be fined under this title or in prison, not more than 20 years or both, and shall be um, eligible for, um, for employment by the United States or any department or agency thereof for the five years next following his conviction, mm -hmm. his or her conviction. Right. So what I'm saying to you, Marcus, is it doesn't have to be just insurrection, right? It could be those other two U.S. codes that they can use to, um, to go ahead and sentence these individuals, right? Because they have to be placed in categories. Right. Now, I would tell you, Marcus, um, again, um, just like police and all the- um, We've got, Tony, we've got, um, less, we've got less than a minute left Okay. Here. I'm, I'm sorry, but I, I would tell you this, the, the, the bottom line is um, they are working their way up to the big fish. So anybody that would turn evidence to get to the big fish, 
that's when these types of sentences mm. will become bigger and more um, uh, uh, more given out. That's what I want to say. Well, Tony, thank you so much for your expertise. Certainly is alarming to a lot of people, even from some of the different statutes that you were citing just now. A max sentence so far of, of everyone that's been convicted of five years is a far cry yeah. from what you've described. And none of us want to see our country vulnerable for an, for, uh, for an attack from within. But things certainly look grim at this point if these are the types of sentences that we're handing out. Thank you for uh, giving us your expertise. Thank you for your service to our country. And thank you for allowing us to pick your brain a little bit this morning. I appreciate you having me, Marcus, call, and I'll do it every single time. Absolutely. All right. And so thank you, the listener, the viewer, for tuning in to Next with Marcus Atkinson. Uh, we hope that you've learned quite a bit today from uh, some of our guests about what's going on here locally and abroad. Tune in for uh, a show next month as we talk about other timely topics that happen here in Erie and throughout our country. And uh, you can listen to us every fourth Sunday of the month on 91.3 FM at 4 p.m. For next, I'm your host, Marcus Atkinson, and we will see you next time.